Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. Can we welcome all of our campuses, Appleton Campus, Brookfield Campus, Milwaukee Campus, Germantown Campus, online. Wherever you are connecting with us from today, we're glad that you're with us and you're glad you're a part of everything that's going on. Look at your neighbor and say, man, you look good today. Just say that. You look good today. Look good today. Don't say anything about weight. You look good today. You look good today. Um, Men, men's retreat, you know, Life Church exists to see people experience life change through Jesus. And I encourage you, if you've got time on that Friday night, Saturday morning, it literally, drive time and all included, depends on where you live. Uh, but, uh, but from Milwaukee to Wapaka, it's about a 24-hour turnaround. And I'm going to be speaking. Matter of fact, we're going to have campus pastors speaking. Uh, we're going to do it a little bit different. And so on Saturday, it's going to be some breakout sessions and there's going to be Pastor Ryan and Pastor Dylan and uh, uh, there's Pastor Robert, the, all the campus pastors are going to be speaking and uh, it's going to be a good time. And so you're going to want to be there, be a part of that. Again, it's a great time to connect and hang out. One of the things that I enjoy is I don't, I, if I could, <laughs> I would hang out and have coffee and eat with everybody and then some, because uh, I like to hang out, I like to talk, surprise, surprise, shocking, and I like to eat. And so anyhow, it's a good time just to be able to do that, super casual, super laid back, we'll have a good time. And uh, so again, I just encourage you to, to be there, to be a part. Today, we're getting this brand new series called Next Level Leader. We're gonna go through the book of Titus. So if you have your Bibles open today to the book of Titus, Titus chapter one, it's one of those small uh, pastoral epistles that Paul writes uh, uh, to Titus actually, and uh, be for us today in the New Testament. So just kind of get, you know, past the book of Acts and past Corinthians, it's just right there. And so uh, Titus chapter one, this week and the next two weeks of our three week series, we're actually gonna go through this book. And let me say this, there is no way I can exhaustively uh, communicate everything that's in this in, in three 30 minute sessions. I could spend one 30-minute section uh, just talking about the first two verses of Titus chapter 1. And it's because it, what it's talking about, there's some spiritual uh, constructs that are there, some theological constructs that are there. So for those of you that go, I have no idea what he just said, good. Because this is, I'm not going to get super deep and granular. I'm going to pull a few things out. But if you're one of those, like my wife would call this Bible nerds, that's not my word. Don't email me. Email Tammy Cole at lifechurch.com. Um, so yeah, there it is. I just called you out. So anyhow, so um, I, I hope not to disappoint you, but I'm going to give you an application. This is one of the things I love about scripture. You can look at a passage of scripture and it's not that there, it's not that one meaning negates another meaning. It's just English language is very flat unless you're dealing with some cultural, uh, you know, um, just slang and that type of a deal, everything's pretty much what you say is what you mean kind of a deal. Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, which are the three languages that the Bible was written in, it, it, it has layers to it. There are facets to it. There's depth to it. And there's nuance. And so to try to pull that out is, is not impossible. It's just very time consuming. Not for the preparer, but for the listener. Make sense? And, you're, and here's what I know, you're only gonna catch one or two things I'm going to say. And it's always amazing to me when people come up and say, man, I love when you said, and I'm thinking, I never said that, but however the Holy Spirit spoke to you, that's great. <laughs> you know, man, you said this and this was great. No, I never really said that, but okay, that's good. So 
So anyhow, hopefully we're all on the same page. I wanna look at this book from the lens of a leader. This would be applicable in the church, in the marketplace. I believe a, a kind of an axiom that I believe all truth is God's truth. So I cannot give you chapter and verse there where it says one plus one equals two, but God's a creator. And so he created that to work in, 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 that, in that fashion that one plus one does indeed equal two. It's, it's there, but there's not a chapter and verse, but all truth is God's truth. So if this works at church, it should work in the marketplace. And if it works in the marketplace, it should work. It's, it's just truth. So every organization, whether you're nonprofit, government, business, for-profit, academic, medical, religious, whatever, you're in a never-ending search for qualified leaders. And what is a leader? There are multiple, multiple, multiple conversations about this. Matter of fact, I was in a meeting this week with uh, a few, uh, probably 50, 60 people with John Maxwell and just spent a, an afternoon with, with, or morning with John Maxwell, who is, who is New York Times bestselling author. His idea of his, or, or definition, he didn't come up with, but leadership is influence. And to hear a guy who has written so many books, spoken so much, does so much, has such a breadth and whatever, just his, his mindset on leadership is, it's, it's amazing. And Drucker talks about leadership from a secular perspective. And Jim Collins talks about leadership from a secular perspective. Uh, uh, Dr. Henry Cloud talks about it from, from a secular, sacred perspective. Paul deals with what leadership is. Back in the mid 60s AD, so 60 AD, Paul writes this book, this letter, this epistle to Titus. Now, Titus is, is the guy that Paul has left in charge on the island of Crete. So where is Crete? If you go on a Mediterranean cruise, somewhere between Ephesus and Istanbul in the Mediterranean, you're, you're in that vicinity. It's, it's modern day Turkey. It's right there off a the coast. It was the fourth largest island uh, in, in its day and time uh, off the coast. And, and Crete was not a, it was a, there was a good contingency of Jews that lived there. It was under Roman rule and occupancy, as was most of the known world at that time. But there was also a lot of non-Jewish people and a lot of Greeks and a lot of just uh, basically this considered Asia Minor in the day and time. And so they're living there. Uh, a lot of these people were not scrupulous. So I heard one theologian, pastor, preacher, call them a bunch of peg-leg pirates. So think Captain Jack Sparrow. Can you get Johnny Depp in your mind? That's who he's leading. Thank you, Paul, for giving me this assignment. You know, there's certain places like you go, hey, I feel God's calling me to Maui. Okay, I can feel that, amen? <laughs> right, but this is not one of those types of assignments. This is not one of those places you wanna go to. These are not easy people to lead. That's what I'm trying to get at. But Paul writes this to Titus. Now, Titus would have been a convert of Paul. Titus is mentioned three times in the New Testament in the book of Corinthians, Galatians, and Timothy. He's non-Jewish, he's Greek. So any of those of you that are Greek out there, this is your guy. And uh, he, but he was a convert of Paul's, but he has high marks of, of integrity and leadership. And he leaves him there to basically appoint and organize the church. Paul would go in like a storm, man. He would blow it up. People are coming from everywhere, everything's going on. And then Paul's out, he's on to the next place. So Paul has these young pastors, like he leaves Timothy in Ephesus, which is not too far away from Crete, but Ephesus was probably one of the largest churches in the New Testament, uh, close to over 100,000 believers. 
And if you ever do a Mediterranean cruise or you're in that area of the world, you can actually tour the, the ancient city of Ephesus and you'll see the house churches. And they have living rooms or gathering rooms that will seat probably two to 300 people. So don't think like it's a 1600 square foot ranch. That's what we think of when we hear house church. No, these were like palatial. These were people with means and that's where they would hold. And so, but all throughout the city of Ephesus, there would be all of this going on. Paul has done the same thing in Crete and he's left Titus. I need you to go, I need you to organize and I need you to find, develop and deploy elders. Now the word elder is, would be the easiest way. I mean, I could get into the weeds on it. The bottom line is these are leaders. These are church leaders. These are people that are going to lead the church. And so he talks about this, Titus chapter one, verse four through nine. We're gonna read today and I'm gonna unpack this. He gives three big qualifications for who these people are, for what next level leaders look like. That's what I wanna talk to you about for the next couple of minutes. So look at verse four of Titus chapter one. To Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might appear, excuse me, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint the elders in every town as I directed you. Look at verse six. If anyone is above reproach, a husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, and for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So next level leaders, let me give you three statements because we're losing time real fast here. Number one is a next level leader leads their family well. Next level leaders lead their families well. You go back to verse four and verse six through verse six, he says that in verse six, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of, of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. So an elder is a church leader. And, and these are high expectations, but they're also, they're also kind of a good guideline for us. Because again, it's responsible that if you're going to be a leader and you're gonna lead God's church, you're gonna be a leader, you're gonna lead in the marketplace, you're gonna be a leader, you're gonna lead in the world that you are. If you cannot lead at home, how can you lead other people? If you can't have love and respect from the people that know you the most, then how are the people that love you the know you the least going to love and or respect you? Doesn't work. So Deuteronomy, this isn't a new concept. You go back to the Old Testament, to the law, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five, six, and seven says, you shall love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command to you today, this is God speaking, shall be upon your heart. Verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down at your house, when you walk by the way or drive in your car, and when you lie down and when you rise. Paul, first of all, is saying, hey, Titus, the primary leader has got to boast of, first of all, be primary leader in their home and in their family. So look at the relationship with their spouse. Look at the relationship with their kids. Look, look at this. This doesn't mean that everything's perfect. No one's perfect. Jesus was the only one that was perfect. 
It does mean that there's a level of integrity, that there's a level of striving to do what God's asked you to do, that, that there is this, this, this design, this desire that's coming out and that you see it in their children. Now, if you have kids at all, you realize very early on, these kids are free moral agents, right? When they're toddlers, you tell them one thing to do. I mean, the first word, fa favorite word, no. And the second one is mine. We've got problems, right? Houston, we're going to have issues. Yes, no. And some of you are still in denial of this. Let me tell you, this doesn't change. So, right? And so, and, and as they get into those teen years, sometimes they're really, really good and sometimes not. And then sometimes it shows up in the teen years and sometimes it shows up in the young adult years, but it's there. It's that seed of rebellion that, that Adam and Eve dealt with that we're all dealing with. This, this thing that Paul talks about, the things that I don't want to do, I do, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. And therein lies the struggle except your kids just are not at a place where their brains are fully formed enough. And I mean that medically, not just sarcastically, although you could take it both ways. They're not fully formed enough to be able to put everything together and articulate it, but you know it because you went through it and you were a kid too. And when you tell them that, they look at you and roll their eyes the same way you did to your parents, right? So it's not about perfect kids, but it is about instilling values. It is about instilling this, this, I have a relationship with Jesus and I'm gonna raise up my children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. I, I have these values that we live by as a family. What are those values? Articulate those values. This is what we're going to do. As they see you, mom and dad, how you're leaving, leading your life and how you're living your life and what you do, it makes a difference because in your children, you reproduce who and what you are. That's the reason why the Bible says that you train up a child in the way they shall go when they're old or not depart from it. May there be a rebellion season? Yes. Can you control that? Not really. What is, what, what's the truth of God's word? Not that your kids are going to not try things or do things. And maybe they don't. And praise God that they don't. But they may. But when they get to an age, they'll come back to it. Let me say this, and I want to move on. I don't have a lot of time to camp out on this. So I was raised in a godly home with godly parents that worked hard, loved each other. We're not perfect, but we're really good people. Brought us up in church, that kind of a deal. I was the kid that never got in trouble. Not, I mean, ask my mom, you can, the next time she's here, she'll tell you how great I am. And uh, I didn't get in trouble. I was the little president of the Bible club in the seventh grade. I led like 75 of my friends to Jesus in, in the seventh grade and thought I was the coolest thing since sliced bread. Since I was wearing Vans, I had a cool bicycle. Anyhow, I just, but I was just really very straight kid, very, you know, didn't smoke, drink, chew, date girls that do, all that kind of stuff, right? That's important in Arkansas. So. So anyhow, I am so filtering right now. Graduate high school, go to Bible college, marry Tammy, which I way out punted my coverage on that. She's awesome. She's amazing. Blah, 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 blah. My brother, he took the road less traveled. Let's just say it that way. So my brother was in trouble from junior high. You know, it's like the Dukes of Hazzard song, just some good old boys, never knew me to no harm, but got in trouble with the law every day since the day they were born. That's my brother. My brother is like, oh, let's try this. Let's do this. No big deal. Whatever. Da -da 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 -da. And there was a lot of pain and grief that my parents were caused. We were raised in the same house, same parents, same values. Now, my brother serves the Lord today, but it's been a journey. And, and what I'm saying to you is, is that you can't control your adult children. But when you teach and train them, when you live this out, when you lead this out, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. 
And so if you're struggling with this, this is not, when you read this verse six, sometimes it's like, man, I'm disqualified. No, you're not. It's called being human. But the reality is, is if you've done the right things and you've inputted and, and you, you have inputted the right things into your children and you've led with the right values, God's going to help you. This is not a tension you're ever going to solve. It's when you're gonna manage, that's leadership. Second, second statement about leadership. Here's the next level leaders lead themselves well. They lead themselves well. Self-leadership. The hardest person you are going to ever lead is yourself. And you know this, because you know how jacked up you are. Just look at your neighbor and say, you're jacked up. Just say it, just right there. And you know it, follow it up with that and you know it. I'm just telling you, we're all messed up. And those of you that go, I'm not, you're really more messed up than anybody else. <laughs> and if you have to ask where, you are in such denial and you're so out of touch with who you are. Let's go back to the passage here, verse seven and eight. For an overseer is God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or, or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Above reproach. The Greek word there that's used for that phrase is something that cannot be, excuse me, something that cannot be called to account, unprovable, unaccusable, blameless, a life that's worthy of imitation. That's what above reproach is. Are you an above reproach leader? Are you someone who is blameless and a worthy of a life leading to imitate? See, the, our culture, the economy of our culture is charisma and skill. And power often trumps character. But in God's economy, you lead with character first because power will come and opportunity will come. But if you have not character, you do not have the ability to lead. And the characters that he listed there, here's some values. These are not gonna be on the screen, but if you wanna jot these down, you can. Is stewardship. If you are a next level leader, you view life as stewardship. Life is not ownership. You don't own anything, you steward it. You, 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 you view it as, as completely from a place of, this is what I am given and I'm gonna give it back to the Lord. It's like I'm leasing this car, I'm leasing this life, I don't own it, it is not mine. So God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, in the end, it's yours. Do you live life with that perspective or are you like the toddler that says, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's my company, it's my job, it's my academic, it's my title, it's my success. Second characteristic there is integrity, integrity, above reproach. It's higher than acceptable standards, higher than acceptable standards. The world standard says this is okay and you take it up one more level, higher than acceptable standards. That's what integrity means. Everybody else expects this, you meet it here. The third is humble, humility. There's no pride, there's no arrogance, there's no self-promotion. You ever been around people that all they can do is talk about themselves? And many times type A leaders are really guilty of this. Some pastors that I know, man, they are the world's worst. Well, my church is and my church is and my church is and I'm doing and I did this and I did. And it's like, whoa, 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 where is God in all of that? The fourth is disciplined, disciplined. Now I understand everybody has some area in life that you're undisciplined right? You can be really great over here, but you're not great over there. You can be really great with this, but you're not great with that. But for the most part, your private life and your public life are congruent in discipline. 
Because if we're not careful, we can put on this whole image that we're very disciplined people publicly, but privately, we're, we're just a mess. And so we start with private because private will always come to public. It will always come to public. If you don't deal with it, private will always come to public. And there have been conversations down through the years about, well, their private life and their public life, especially in politics, these are two different things. And with the age that we live in with social media and, and there's such a need and a cry for transparency that when there's incongruencies, ah. Next characteristic is kind. Talks about being gentle and gracious. Just a servant leader. Do you defer people in front of you? Or is it all about you getting there first? Do you try to help other people? Or is it all about you? Do, do you really believe that, that life is just one pie and you've got to muscle yourself in there to get your slice and the biggest slice that you can? Or do you think it, that life is like a Krispy Kreme donut where there's just multiple, they're just coming off the conveyor belt. Do you have life, is life scarcity or is it abundance? See, that changes how you view things. I view that life and that all the fullness thereof comes from the Lord. So therefore God is an abundant God. He has no, he has no beginning and he has no end. Therefore all that he produces has no beginning and has no end, it's infinite. Therefore his blessings are infinite in my life. So if you get a gr great big piece of pie, that's awesome, great for you because mine's coming down the line and mine made me bigger, bigger, big, bigger and better than yours. I don't know, but I just, I'm not going to fight you over that. I'm gonna be kind and gentle. I'm gonna defer you in front of myself. Godly, godly, he uses the word holy. Would, would people describe you in the marketplace as holy? Not holier than thou. We don't need any Pharisees or Sadducees. We don't need anybody standing up, up in, the, in the conference room in a, or on a, a lunch break table and telling everybody they're going to hell and how great they are and how horrible they are. Remember you're jacked up, right? Your neighbor just told you that a couple of minutes ago. Some of you are really mad right now. Like, how can he tell me I'm jacked up? Because you are. I am. But godly, upright, good. Do you know the highest compliment that God gives in Scripture isn't great? It's good. It's good. Look at the creation story. And God created First day, and at the end of the day, he said, and it was good. Second day, and it was good. And it was, that's the highest compliment God can give you. It's the highest characteristic someone can say, that's a good person. So how do you lead yourself in this way? How do you lead like this? Real simple, John chapter 15, verse five, Jesus says, for I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. In order to lead yourself well, the way this expects you to, you must ultimately be led by Christ. Because I know there's some business leader going, there's just no way. Those characteristics don't match up with the world. That's right, you're above reproach. Here's the world standard, you're gonna take it up a little higher because you've been called to something greater. Because what you're called to is not a kingdom of here and now, it's, it's a kingdom of eternity. It's, it's God's kingdom. And so you're gonna do things a little higher because, because what you're playing for are bigger stakes. What, what you're going after are bigger fish. You're, you're not just chasing dollars and deals, you're chasing things that are eternal. And there's only two things that are eternal, people and God's word, that's it. 
So you lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, you would fall. And if you're gonna be led this way, if you're gonna lead this way, then you're gonna have to be in Christ and he's gonna have to be in you. And that's a relationship. And if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and come into your life and be your Lord and be your savior, it begins there. And then there is this journey that when I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart, according to Romans 10, nine and 10, I am saved. And when I am saved into Christ and saved from my sins and I begin this journey, and then these characteristics of stewardship and integrity and humility and discipline and kindness and godliness, they begin to come. They're fruits of a life that's in Jesus. Third statement, I got 52 seconds. Third statement, next level leaders lead well. They lead well, they lead well. Look back at verse eight. It uses the word hospitable. They must be hospitable. Other translations, the message would say he must welcome people. The ERV says he must be ready to help people. The New Living Translation says he must enjoy having guests in his home. Jesus will say it this way in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, that we're called to be salt and light in a very tasteless and a very dark world. Paul will talk to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. He calls it the sweet aroma of Jesus in your life. This is about pleasing and being beneficial to other people. When you walk into a room as a leader and you're done with whatever you're doing and you walk out, do people go, wow, that's a great leader. That's a good leader. But they added value to me. They, they, there was a kindness that was there. There was a humility that was there. There was a discipline that was there because people can sense it before they ever, they, they, they can see it in you before they ever really understand and be able to articulate completely what it is. Did they say that? Or are you a taker? And when you walk out of the room, they're depleted, they're gone. Whatever sense of dignity they have, whatever sense of whatever they have, it's completely gone. Do you add value or do you take value? Are you a giver or are you a taker? Is it about abundance? Is it about scarcity? Are, are you hospitable? Or do you love people? Do you work in that way? And I understand not every person is easy to love. And, and sometimes you just like people because or you love them because you can't like them. I, I get some of that stuff, but we're called to go into the world. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be the sweet aroma of Christ. We're called to be different than other people. And it shouldn't be that we have to even use words to express our relationship with Christ. It should be in our actions and our attitude and our dispositions with people. That's what he's talking about. Do people describe you as hospitable? Well, you don't understand my world. I, I get it. I'm just saying what the Bible says. Don't, I didn't write it. I don't get editorial privilege. If you wanna take a pair of scissors to it, you wanna take a, a Sharpie and mark it out because you just go, I believe all the Bible, but I don't believe I have to do this. That's between you and God. Ooh, got quiet up in here. Mm, somebody call me a taxi. All right, look at verse nine, I'm gonna land the plane. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word, speaking the word of God, as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. There will always be people that will contradict the teaching of God's word. This is 60 years after the death of Jesus. The ability to teach and lead is a distinguishing mark of a pastor or an elder. Let me say this, this is something that's more biblical just in, in the church world. This is a both and not an either or. This is a tension to manage to produce godly growth. If you're just a good Bible teacher, then you're a Sunday school teacher, you're a Bible professor, you're 
You're just a Bible teacher. Nothing wrong with that, but that's your gifting. You're not a pastor. If you just had the ability to lead in the church, then you're an administrator. You, you don't really have the ability to teach. You, 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 you're just a teacher. You're, I mean, you're, you're just an administrator. You, you make things happen. You, but if you're gonna be a pastor, you have to lead and feed the sheep. And so sometimes I just encourage you as you are in your life and whether you're at Life Church, whether you're watching online, whether you're looking for a church, you wanna ask the question, is the guy or the gal who's a senior pastor of the church, do they lead and feed? First of all, are they leaders? Because I will tell you this, I love being here and Tammy and I have been here for 21 years and, 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 and growing and so this is great, this is awesome, I'm not planning to go anywhere, but should the Lord tarry his coming and I retire or whatever happens, the thing that you will miss when I'm gone is not my preaching. It'll be some of that, but you will miss the leading. Because in the leading are things you don't know. They're the intangibles you don't see. They're, they're how things are managed. They're the people that we bring in. They're the people that we choose on the elder board. They're the people that we bring around that, that, that help us. They're, 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 there, is, there is the leadership more than the preachership that you miss and so many times in churches, we go, well, they're a great communicator, but, but they can't lead themselves out of a wet paper bag. They don't have confrontational skills. Uh, they're full of themselves. They don't have any of these, these characteristics that, 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 that Paul is talking to Titus about. And they're good teachers, but they're not good leaders. And then I've seen guys who are really good leaders that don't know how to effectively communicate and exegete scripture and make it simple. One of the greatest compliments I get from people is this, not that I'm deep, Oh, I could get you lost in the text. The election that, ta that, that, that Paul talks about to Timothy in those first few verses, are we elect into something or do we have divine, divine privilege in something? Or, or the other word is, is there a sovereignty uh, aspect to that? Or do I have personal choice and will and where does will and volition come into the election? And I can get you lost in a whole theological construct. But what good does that do you? Nothing. It does nothing. I listened to a podcast yesterday about, about diversified bond investments and I have no clue what the guy talked about. I speak the English language, but I don't understand about this private equity thing that they're leveraging in order. I, 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 can, I know all the words, I just don't know what they mean together. Does that make sense? And sometimes you can go to church and go, I understand everything the guy's saying. I just don't understand how this fits together. It's because he's not a gifted in teaching. A good teacher of God's word takes very hefty constructs and very hefty ideas and he makes it or she makes it very simple. She go, I understand and I can live that. That's what Paul's telling Titus. Hey, in your leading, make sure you're feeding. Same way in your business. Great, you understand how to administrate, but do you know how to communicate that to the people that are following you? Do you know how to communicate that to the people that are in your downline? Do you know how to take these big ideas and make it so that they understand it? Well, they should, uh, they should get this and they, yeah, yeah, that's like me saying you should get all this stuff. But if you should get it, then what am I doing here? That's why we need leaders. So don't ever think it's about just teaching a concept or it's just about leading a concept. This is not a tension to solve, this is a tension to manage. You will be leading and feeding the people that are following behind you. And if you're effective and you're gifted and you're called and you're in your sweet spot, so to speak, then when you're leading and feeding, people will follow you. The reason why some churches and organizations grow is because the guy or the gal that's leading is leading and feeding. 
And the reason why some people go, I just can't ever get traction. This just, just doesn't work. Sometimes the reason is because they're not leading and they're not feeding. Ooh, I'm preaching way better than you're shouting. Three questions to ask yourself and I'm gonna pray. How am I leading my family? Ask yourself, how am I leading my family? Okay, scale of one to 10, one being not good, 10 being awesome. Okay, what's one leadership change? What's one change you could make? Not five, not three, not two, just one thing you could do that would make your leadership in your home better. What is that? then this week, go do that. Implement that one change. Maybe your struggle is leading yourself. And I wouldn't try to do three things. I would just find one of these at work. So how am I leading myself? 10, I'm awesome, I'm amazing. Very self-aware. One, I am clueless. I think I'm awesome and I'm not. So what's one change that would make your leadership and self-leadership better. What, what's one thing you could do this week that would change that? And how am I leading others? How am I leading other people? Look, everybody has influence on people. Sociologists tell us that the average person in our world, there's at least seven people that will look at your life and will say at some point in your life, they wanna be like you in a particular area. At least seven. How are you leading? How are you leading others? And what would be one change that you'd make that would improve that? Don't think big sweeping, jumping changes. God doesn't work in leaps, he works in steps. Now again, I hope you'll continue, you'll join me as we continue and we journey on and, and Titus next week. But today, leading, leading, leading in the family, leading yourself, leading other people. Father, I just thank you today for your word, I thank you for your people. And I know this is one of those kind of like messages that's a bit meat and potatoes. We kind of get to just sit there and digest it. But I pray Holy Spirit speak to our hearts because there are leaders in this room that they're leading really well in the marketplace, but they're not leading well at home. And if just show them Holy Spirit speak as they ask Holy Spirit, what does this mean? What do I need to apply? What do I do? What's one thing they can do? Maybe there are people, Lord, that are trying to, to lead other people really, really well, but they're not leading themselves well. And so that, that, that duplicity between how they lead themselves and how they lead others, Lord, that's gonna create a bigger and bigger and bigger divide where eventually the private is going to become public. And it's gonna take away from what you intended for them to lead and how you intended them to lead. Lord, I just pray help us that we lead ourselves well, that we be above approach higher than the acceptable standard and Lord how we lead other people Jesus you died for people there's only two things that are eternal your word and people that's the people in the companies that we work with and that we work under and that we work over and that we lead how are we taking care of the most precious asset on the planet not money not gold not buildings, not real estate, not intellectual properties. No, it's people, it's people, it's people. People at the very bottom, people at the very top. You say they're all of equal value, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Help us, Lord, to see them the way you see them and to serve 
the way you served us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.